listeners, we want to give a little word of caution that this week's episode is about the romance genre and its many forms. We discuss various adult topics, including sex and types of sexuality. These topics may not be suitable for some listeners. I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show hosted by two book nerd friends who talk to other book nerds, including authors, poets, librarians, booksellers, and regular readers. Our show follows this format. We begin with my crabby dullness and Amy's sometimes maddening enthusiasm. It took us a little bit of time to become self-aware and recognize that we embody the grumpy sunshine trope that we often see in literature. That is followed by a fun conversation with a new bookish friend about what they love about being a bookworm. Then we talk about what we're reading, and finally we put our guest on the hot seat to answer some silly probing questions. We're glad you joined us. Our guest this week is Natalie Martin, a voracious romance reader from Illinois who we met through Tabby Politsky, host of Modern Life Podcast. Natalie is the owner of Just Ask Nat and a virtual assistant for authors and small businesses, including the romance podcast Heaving Bosoms, where she has also served as guest co-host. We wanted to dig deep with a fellow book lover who reads romance almost exclusively to find out why this genre is so important to her and what author she recommends for someone new to this category category of novels. We talk about all kinds of romance tropes and themes and have a grand old time that devolves into a discussion that neither of our moms should listen to. Right, Carrie? Definitely. But we don't, as far as we know, violate any FCC regulations. So a reminder to listeners, especially in the Louisville area, but anywhere, that Give for Good Louisville is coming up on September 15th and Forward Radio is participating again. There are some cool donor challenges this year that you can learn about at giveforgoodlouisville.org. So be sure to check that out before and on September 15th. But first, what's been going on with you this week, Carrie? Just more of the same in schools. That's that's pretty much all I'm doing right now. Now, you did tell me that you were having to take a poll worker class. Yes, this is going to be my, I guess, my third election that I am working at uh, in November. So, yes, I did sign up for that and got the email telling me what precinct I'm going to be at. I, I learned a lot from doing it. So I, I highly recommend if you've never worked as a poll worker, it's an interesting experience. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hooked now. The first election I worked was in 2020. And so many poll workers, at least the ones like where I vote, they're older. And so in 2020, you know, a lot of them were scared to work. So many older people were being hit really, really hard by COVID. And so I signed up in 2020 and, you know, I just felt like it was time to, uh, I guess, What's pass the baton, right? Pass the baton to the the next generation. You said it was an interesting experience. What has been interesting about it? Well, I mean, you know, there's been all this talk amongst a a lot of people who think, you know, oh, that fraud is just rampant and that poll workers are, you know, changing people's votes and all this ridiculous stuff. And the thing is, I mean, I'm not saying that errors don't happen. They do. But the thing is, you have to take an oath before you serve. And so if any poll worker intentionally did something, they would get sued and fined and probably thrown in jail. And so I'm not going to do that for anybody. I don't care what politician it is. I'm not going to jail for anybody. So I'm not changing anybody's vote. And once you work an election, you find out how many backups to the backups to the backups are in place to make sure that fraud doesn't happen. And I think that if you have never worked an election, you have no idea the amount of security and the things you have to sort of check off and do to make sure that everything is is copacetic. And I mean, I was never like a conspiracy theorist who believed that fraud is rampant, but serving as an election worker, I guess, made me realize that it would be really, really, really hard for somebody to have thousands and thousands of dead people vote. Like I said, it's been very educational for me. And now that I've done it, I sort of try when I'm able to speak to that just because I have firsthand experience of what actually is involved when you work at a poll and on election day. 
Um, you were telling me about an antiquated oath that you had to take as part of this, which is funny because last week we were talking about weird, stupid, antiquated laws. So <laughs> tell people besides me what this oath includes. The oath is very old. Like it has not been updated. And and when I tell you what's part of the oath, you'll see why I say that. So the oath basically says that you promise to uphold not only the U.S. Constitution, but the, the Kentucky State Constitution, right? And so that's cool because we want everybody who is working at a poll to have taken an oath that they are going to do their duty and, and not uh, purposefully screw things up, right? But part of the duel is that you, I mean, sorry. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip there. That was a Freudian slip. Part of the oath is that you have to swear that you have never been in a duel or served as a second in a duel. And so, you know, at least at this point, I have never been in a duel. My life is not over yet. There, are, Hopefully I have many years ahead. I don't foresee either participating in a duel or serving as someone's second. I wonder if like, if there are people who are in the cast of Hamilton, hmm, have you technically <laughs> served as a second in someone's duel? If you did it on stage and it was fictional, I don't know. I was telling Chris about it this morning as we were walking our dogs. He goes, next time I see Carrie, I'm going to challenge her to a duel <laughs> and know that she cannot accept or she won't be able to be a poet. That's her. right. You could badmouth my mama and I cannot <laughs> challenge you to a duel. So <laughs> anyway, well, well, what's been going on with you? What do you have to say? I wanted to remind people, uh, if you don't follow us on Instagram, Perks of Being a Book Lover pod, you should, because we do a book giveaway almost every week. And it's it's usually the books of the authors that we talk to, because many times they will send us a copy of the book to read so that we can have a conversation with them, or we get one from the publisher, early reader copies, and we like to pass those along to new readers. And so, so I just wanted to remind people about that. And I think we have some kind of fun content on there, you know, like we have a five-star read every week that another book lover recommends. And we've got all these pet photos, which is one of my favorite parts of the week. Yeah. And sometimes we post some, you know, just funny little things. But anyway, that's just me giving a shout out to our Instagram page, but I think it's worth checking out. So we had a lot of fun chatting with Nat. Our mom's minds might be blown. All right, so we have Natalie Martin with us today. Yeah. Natalie, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I've been like, like silently, secretly hoping that you would ask me on, <laughs> just but like really playing it cool, obviously. I, th I think I played the long game really well. So we know you because you created our website for us last summer and we immediately fell in love with you. It's like a, uh, what do they call that? A girl, um, girl crush. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yes. <gasps> wow. That's very flattering. <laughs> but you are a woman of many, many talents. Creating websites is just one of them. You are a baker and a romance lover. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I truly so, have too many hobbies. And <laughs> a I lot, was... <laughs> a lot of hobbies. <laughs> but it was so fun to work with you guys. And it was one of those, I think we just found each other out of the blue, didn't we? Well, we found you through Tabby Politsky, oh, who right. was a guest on our show. And I was asking around who could help us make a, a website. And yeah. she suggested you because you had done work for Heaving Bosoms mm -hmm. podcast. Yep. And I think she must listen to that podcast. Yes, and knew we that. have both been longtime so. listeners, pretty much original listeners of Heaving Bosoms podcast, and then have communicated and been friends through the listener group over there. You can blame it all on Tabby Politsky. <laughs> I will. So tell our listeners just a little bit about your life. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess first and foremost, I am like mom type person, but uh, I started the virtual assisting agency, Just Ask Nat, well, I guess right after COVID started, but I had had this kind of as a dream for what I wanted to do and kind of a, a way to make the things that I really love to do into like a business, which, you know, sometimes they say like, don't make your hobbies, you know, your business because then they're not hobbies anymore and you take all the joy out of them. But these are really things I, I really find a lot of joy in 
taking things that maybe come a little bit more naturally to me and really helping people kind of do the things that they love to do. So like, you know, uh, some, sometimes authors, you know, that they aren't very comfortable with the social media side or that kind of stuff, but I really like that side. So if I can take that part and, and help an author focus on them being able to write and do the things that they like, meet listeners, their readers, things like that. It's just kind of nice to be able to do that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And where, where do you live? <laughs> I am deeply rural in Illinois here. I am North Central Illinois, and we're close to what's called Starved Rock State Park. So the lar- one of the largest state parks in Illinois, and it's kind of one of those natural features that has been created over time uh, with like canyons and waterfalls and rivers. So we get to do a lot of really cool outdoor stuff being here right by us. So it's one of my very favorite things about living here. Well, we're going to talk in just a minute about, Mm -hmm. you know, your big love with romance Mm -hmm. reading, but tell us Mm -hmm. just about your reading life when you were a kid before you got into romance. You know, were there certain books and genres that you tended to read? Oh my gosh. So do you know how there's like horse girls? Yeah. Okay. I was not a horse girl, but I was an animal girl. And so like by that, I mean any sort of book that had any sort of animal feature. So like all of those like chicken soup for the animal lover soul, Mm -hmm. like, you know, the animals rescuing humans, those kinds of books. So I've read a lot of those, but that kind of changed into reading all of the James Harriet. Oh um, yeah. Like autobiographies, Mm -hmm. like all creatures great and small. And I obsessively read those books until the bindings fell apart. I wanted to be a veterinarian. Like that's what I actually went to college for was to to be a veterinarian because I loved this idea of helping animals and the connection with people and animals. And then I figured out how hard veterinarian <laughs> school is. And let's it's not for me. <laughs> really competitive and like that was not great so I quickly adjusted my plan but I was a big also Nancy Drew Mm. person huge Mm. into Nancy Drew still have some of my original you know yellow binding Nancy Drew books that I have been just holding on to forever so maybe one day my kids will read them so yeah that kind of was like the two cornerstones and they're nothing alike how then did your love of romance happened? Was there like a big event, a a big book that pulled you in? My early romance reading. So like, has anyone read Summer Sisters by Judy Bloom? Yes. (laughs) If Mm -hmm. you're thinking like that discovery that there could be sex written into a book, I read that (laughs) at like 13 and it was a eye-opening experience (laughs) for me at 13. You know, that like looking around you going like, do other people know what's in this My mom bought me the book. I'm sure she was like, oh, Judy Bloom, this is perfect. (laughs) And then she had no idea. So that was like the first time that I knew that like that side of a character's life could be on the page. But actual, you know, like genre romance, I, I probably picked up off and on. I did a lot of summer camp counseling and different things like that throughout you know my life and they'd always be on shelves you know Mm. so you'd pick up a book that had been like left behind by someone on vacation or whatever um so I read romance off and on just in that medium but never really buying them because there's a lot of just internalized misogyny that goes along with like reading romance and having people know you're reading books with sex in them and and thinking about that but then when I really all of that fell away I picked up off of a shelf again the magic which is a Lisa Kleypas book Didn't know that it was a romance when I had this woman with a really beautiful dress on it and I picked it up and I read it and I devoured it. And then I like finished reading it and then read it again. And then I went on maternity leave shortly after that. And one of the great things about some romance, not all of it, but you can kind of pick it up, you can set it back down and you can jump right back into it when you're feeding a baby or like running around or throwing a load of laundry and you can just like pick it up and and jump into it. And I just sunk into romance over maternity leave with my daughter and I've never looked back like truly I've probably only read a couple non-romance books in the last decade oh wow the majority of my reading if not all is romance so I probably now read two to three books a week just because that's where I am able to really really truly relax and a variety of different genres and subgenres and stuff like that. Well, I would say that's probably healthier than me because I remember when my daughter was an infant, they won't go to sleep in their crib, but if you lay down on your bed with them, they'll fall asleep and then you just put pillows around them, you know, and you and yeah. so I would stay yeah. in the room 
while she was uh-huh. sleeping, but I would read. Well, you know what I chose? Dum dum. The lovely bones. <laughs> That's what I chose. What that is the perfect book to read. You know, I'm like, who picks that book? <laughs> I really need the HEA to get me through the happily ever after. I'm sorry. HEA would be the acronym that a lot of romance readers use, but I need that happily ever after. So like, it doesn't have to be a happy light rom-com book all the time for me, but I know that when I get to the Mm -hmm. end, I won't have a main character die. Yeah. (laughs) Or if I, if that is happening, it's, I think not a romance, but you know, there's a big debate about that, but I need that HEA so that if, if I'm going through some deep emotions or high angst, it doesn't always have to be good stuff that I'm reading about, but I know it's going to carry me through. And that author and I have made a pact without even meeting that they're going to take me through that and deliver me out safely on the other side. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I've always had a, you know, a really hard time with like uh, intrusive thoughts and thought spiraling. But when I got pregnant and then had kids, it got worse to the point I can't watch media that has stuff where kids get hurt and things like that. It's hard for me to even read about that. So a lot of the times that stuff is absent from romance. There's always, sometimes there's, you know, negative stuff that happens, but I need that guarantee, right, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> otherwise it's not always great for me in my mental right. health. That's interesting. Cause like we talked to a, a very well-known horror bookstagrammer mm-hmm. and she said that she had a lot of anxiety, but horror is the way that it makes her feel better. Yeah. Like that's her way of dealing with it. Isn't- I think it's really interesting the way different people use yeah. books to deal with different issues. Yeah, 100%. And like, brains are so unique, you know what I mean? And like, I know people that are very similar that like the way that they relax is kind of opening up their brain to potentially all the scary stuff that could happen. And that's how they they sink into it. And I'm the opposite. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't want to read a horror. No way, man. I think I realized something about myself as a reader this weekend. Like I knew it, but I had never really made the neurons connect on this. But I realized that when something bothers me or I'm angry about something, I have found that what I do is I I will then read nonfiction about Mm -hmm. whatever it is So that because I feel like I have to understand it, like I have to understand it on an intellectual basis, something that I'm having this huge, like emotional response to. So the book that I picked to start listening to this weekend, it was like, oh, this is a pattern. I do this. This is how I have to make intellectual sense of that's sort of my thing that I do. But I never really put two and two together until just recently. So. I don't read a whole lot of romance. So I, I did a little internet search and it helped me discover just how many romance subgenres there are. So I, I'd never heard of these. So there's baby love, medical romance, yeah. cowboy contemporary romance, glamour jet set, vacation love, amnesia. There's more. So do you, oh gosh, there's so many. Do you have there's a favorite exactly one? as many subgenres as there are human beings in the world. If you think oh, wow. about that, because, well, because if you think about, what romance is. It's telling stories. It's telling people's love stories. It's telling people's stories about different types of people. So if everybody can see their own love story on a page, there's going to be exactly that many subgenres in the world. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So as far as like subgenres that I love, there's a running joke in the listener group for Heaving Bosoms that I only read secret baby romances (laughs) and a secret... And a secret baby romance would be, this is an example, there's other versions, but there's a one night stand and the woman gets pregnant, but then can never find the man again, or doesn't know anything about him, has the baby. And then later on, they make that connection again. And he finds out that there's this baby this whole time, or there's a, you know, a secret heir or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. All sorts of stuff. It can go from very realistic all the way up to fantastical and insane but (laughs) also fun it's for the escape right right? so I do love a secret baby romance and I think part of it so I got pregnant at 19 and gave a child up for adoption and we had to go through the whole process of finding that person and contacting that person and letting the father of this child know what was going on it's like I can deeply Mm. relate to a secret baby romance where Mm. other people might think of it as like weird or wild or like a crazy story that would never happen in real life, but I can see how it could, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. me personally. So I do love a secret baby romance. I 
will seek them out sometimes when you just want to read something. But really, I think I'm a big, like a second chance romance. That's kind of a, a subgenre or a trope, I guess, that I probably gravitate towards because you've got like the grovel. You've got the, a lot of times there's a lot of grand gesturing or there's a reason that it didn't work out in the first place. And you have to figure out what that reason was and can we overcome it and can we make it work a second time? So I do love that one. I'm like Carrie, I don't read a lot of romances, mm-hmm. but I do read some and I follow a lot of bookstagrammers mm-hmm. who are, are romance readers or writers. There are so many tropes and they refer to them in their posts. You know, yeah. this is a great enemies to lovers mm-hmm. novel, or this is a great, one of my favorites, because I think Carrie and I are this one, but on a friend platonic level is the, the sunshine grumpy. <laughs> oh yeah. The sunshine grumpy trope. <laughs> They're a cinnamon roll and the other one's all super serious. You know, oh yeah, yeah. I love that yeah. one. So there's so many different tropes mm-hmm. in romance that I think that you don't necessarily see in other genres. So are there certain tropes that you really like or tropes that you think you're just kind of sick of by now? You know what I'm kind of tired of and don't tell anybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Listeners, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but, you know, I'm kind of tired of enemies to lovers. Mm. You know what I mean? And and Enemies to Lovers is wildly popular. I used to do interview segment on Heaving Bosoms. And I would say 90% of the people that I interviewed on that segment, listeners and readers, liked Enemies to Lovers the best. And I, I think for me, there's usually a lot of bickering and arguing and somebody that is is not willing to compromise mm. something about themselves or something that they want or they can't see past some specific issue and so they're enemies with this person. And I just want everyone to like me all the time. So it's just <laughs> yeah. not something I relate to very well. <laughs> Aren't there tropes that you love no matter how many times that you read them? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm a firm believer that each trope can either be great and also be awful. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I love a second chance romance, but I have also read second chance romances where I would be like, there's no way that's forgivable. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I yeah. would never. But I'm, I'm not really afraid of DNFing something mm. or like not, not finishing a book. I am cutthroat about it. And it, it, sometimes it'll be like, they wouldn't eat that in Chicago. Like, it could be something really <laughs> silly. But I, that's maybe like too silly. I, but if the author didn't do research on a specific topic that's very specific to me, and I'm like, nope. Taking me right out of it. (laughs) So I think I think if I'm not enjoying something, I tend to just move on, Mm -hmm. which is maybe a bad quality. (laughs) No, I don't think that's a bad quality. I think sometimes when you stick with something, even if you don't like it, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah, So reading books when you have to for a podcast, whether you (laughs) like them or not. That's hard to do if you're a person that doesn't finish yes. a book willy-nilly as I tend to do. Yes. I want to go back to something that you mentioned in the beginning, which was like one of the very first romances that you read. Mm-hmm. You know, you had like this internal struggle with yourself yeah. about reading a romance. And now it seems like there's so much more credibility mm-hmm. to romance yep. than there was. And by that, I don't mean that there should have not been credibility before. I just mean that I feel like that the community of romance readers is so robust yeah and and fairly vocal <laughs> and, and sort of just rejecting that whole thing which mm-hmm. is great but do, do you feel that so I definitely think that when I first started getting back into romance you know and my family still absolutely is uh, vocally looking down on romance all the time and will kind of give me a little bit of crap for only reading romance or like that they wouldn't read books with sex in them or whatever and I think that a lot of that sex in books aspect is a big sticking point for people. I think before I referred to it as like internalized misogyny, mm-hmm. that's like a, like a $10 word. So, and I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure if I a hundred percent know the, the full meaning of it, but it's basically that, that idea that something that brings us joy might not be seen as worthwhile because a wider specifically male audience thinks it's not worthwhile, you know, and, and romance is something that started to be created by women for women about women. And I think that that's kind of the big feature of it. And so you get a lot of hate for things that are bringing women joy that are written by women. And, you know, that you hear a lot of different things, there's stereotypes that it's, you know, you're reading so many books that they're, they can be read so fast and, you know, they must not be really that substantive because, you read them so fast, they can write them so fast. But also, if you aren't 
having to chug your way through stuff that's not bringing you joy or tough topics that you don't want to read, or you're able to get through those tough topics because you know, it's going to carry you through the end. You are able to cruise right through books sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to proceed with caution. And then, you know, the other thing you also hear is that, you know, oh, you know, romance is setting people up for unrealistic expectations because how dare we want our partner to make us a priority, both inside the bedroom and outside mm-hmm. the bedroom. I guess I'm going forward with the idea that all all romance has sex in it. And that's 100% not true. There's every type of book. The only thing that makes it a romance is that happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there's like sweet that would be like, you know, like handholding, maybe, maybe kissing, but nothing further than that even really alluded to, you know? And then there, yeah, like spicy or there would be high heat. People refer to things like that mm. too. There's different levels of heat. Yep. Just like a salsa. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And to to bring up my mom here, my mom thinks you could give her ketchup and tell her it's salsa and she'd be like, this is really hot, you know? And I'm like, that's totally not hot. I mean, some people like a truly spicier salsa than others. and And we're really seeing in romance today, a lot of representation of asexual couples of, you know, pansexual couples, demisexual couples, demisexual will be, you know, people that have to be deeply connected and in love with somebody to even feel attraction to Mm -hmm. them. And there's a variety of things out there now on all of those levels, which I think is so amazing, you know, that as we learn more about how people identify themselves gender wise and sexuality wise, those exact experiences are being reflected in romance. And yeah, there's there's asexual couples that don't want to have sex with each other. And those folks, I want them to have their romance on the page mm-hmm. too, because we want our media to represent us, mm-hmm. you know, as humans. I do think that the romance genre has been a little more forward thinking in representing groups that maybe don't get represented as much. I mean, we've had, a, well, we had one romance writer on, Maisie Eddings, who- mm-hmm. I just who, read her Brush With Love book. By yes. The way. That, well, we had her on the show yeah. to talk about that book and, you know, a book about a neuro- neurodivergent yes. characters, so health issues, you know, just different areas where maybe you wouldn't have seen that in, in other kinds of literature as much. And I think that they're a little bit on the forefront of that. You know, as a person who really- loves the romance genre and loves the romance community. I hope that we are, you know what I mean? I hope that our ability and acceptance of, of other people is reflected and, and, and is seen in, in a, like a leadership role. You know what I mean? How cool would that be? So tell us, who are some of your favorite romance writers? Oh gosh. Okay. So you sent me this question. Just as like a, here, Natalie, here's some potential questions. <laughs> and I, it was really hard. Okay. <laughs> this is very hard. But people that I love and will always, I will buy their books every single time they come out without even knowing really what they're about. Kennedy Ryan, first and foremost, is she's one of those that's an example of she's going to put you through it. You will be wrung out to dry with the angst, but it's a like a high angst and high payoff kind of situation okay. with her. I just love everything about her writing. She's She gets deeply into characters and the folks are unique. And I just love the representation of her characters on the page. I just love her so much. But What's a book of hers? I'm, uh, I'm not sure I've heard of her. Uh, Real is one that just recently came out. R-E-E-L. It's a like a historical movie romance about like actors. But her queen move was one that was really going around big book talk and Instagram. It's about a person who's like a political campaign manager. That one's very good. She's a writer of color. Author of okay. Color. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, Chloe Lee, which is funny that you talk about neurodivergence representation, but I would say every book that I've read of Chloe Lee since L-I-E-S-E has some sort of tie-in with, it's not always a physical disability or, or a, a neurodivergence, but there's going to be just a variety of different characters that are represented on the page. And, and just like how in your friend group, there might be somebody with food allergy or like a sensitivity or, you know, a different way that they have to process information. That's kind of how she presents her groups of friends and groups of family members and kind of shows how different brains make up the world. And um, so I've really loved everything that I've read of hers. And she just had one come out recently 
that's everything for you is a, a mm romance male male but she has a bunch i would say probably my favorite of that series is always only you which is a hockey player and and someone that works in the front office of the hockey team it's funny and there's a variety of different people who experience love in different ways and you know a lot of us have just thought that okay this you see someone you fall in love with them and then you want to pursue a relationship and and that's not how it always is for everybody you know sometimes people's brains just don't work that way so she's done a great job for me at least of showing different people now those are some of your favorite authors, mm-hmm. but what about do you have romance books that you say those are in my top 5? Uh yes, I do, and I recommend them to everybody. Devil's Daughter by Lisa Kleypas, number 1. Is that the Lisa Kleypas book that you mentioned? It's in not. Movie? That is the oh, other one. Okay. Again, The Magic is that Lisa Kleypas book. And okay. I like Devil's Daughter better, but the Again, The Magic has this like really special place in my heart. And I love, I love that book as well. I I love a historical that has funny elements and devil's daughter is a great example. And that would also be a great gateway to romance. There's also lots of great descriptions of food, Mm. which Mm. I also really love. (laughs) Me too. So that's two of them. And then Zenny X E N I by Rebecca Weatherspoon was one of the first, okay. Hold on. Can I talk about pegging on this? Oh, what is that? Um, (laughs) We'll talk about it later. So anyway, that was the first time I read that on the page. Zenny was the first time that I read about different people experiencing their relationship in different ways together. And it was an eye opener for me, but it was funny. And the main male character just was everything I could ever want. Which she has to explain it to us. (laughs) And I should say... Like the thing that's really cool about romance is you get to read about things and it's a way to experience something in a safe way. You know what I mean? And then, and then think about it and say, is that something I've even thought of before? Mm. Is that something I'd be interested in? Sometimes the answer is no, you know, but it's still interesting how the characters react with it and how can read about things in a safe setting and figure out what you like and what you don't like. Now, does your interest in romance include movies and television too? I mean, does it kind of cross over to there? Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's movie. I mean, I'm not a big TV person. It's not usually what I do in my downtime, I guess. But if I'm not watching old episodes of Chopped, um, oh, right. <laughs> I love Chopped. I love Chopped. <laughs> then I'm usually if it's if like I'm gonna watch a movie or something like that, it's usually a, a has a romance element or is a romance or rom com. But I'm not like a the Notebook person. Mm-hmm. I, I think it has to have a comedy element for mm-hmm. me for the most part. For to, to for me to want to see it. So when the Bridgerton Netflix oh. series came out, were you all about that? Heck yes. I okay. took a day off of work. <laughs> Here's how I interacted with the second season of Bridgerton. My friend Holly, who lives in California, she and I had planned our whole day. We both took a day off work and we made snacks and mimosas. And we I pressed play at 9 a.m. in Illinois and she pressed play at 7 a.m. in California. And we watched the whole second season together oh, wow. almost in one whole day. I had to wait, like go pick up my kids from school uh, and take a break. But then, you know, I was able to finish it after bedtime and stuff like that. But yeah, I I went to the Bridgerton experience, the event in person. I recapped it for the podcast. Like I am sold on Bridgerton, the series, not as big of a fan of the mm. books. Huh, that's interesting. So you have sort of a new gig going on. You are part of the team for the romance podcast, Heaving Bosoms. So tell us how you got involved with that. And what's that podcast like? Okay, so you know how we talked about me playing the long game Mm -hmm. with you guys? (laughs) I started listening to Heaving Bosoms maybe like one month after their first couple episodes came out. So like I was an early adopter. And, and then, you know, oh, we have our listener group. Oh, I'm joining that. You know, like I, you know, was in it from the beginning. I was one of the the people that was pretty active the most. And and then we got together at um, Avon runs a romance convention called KissCon. And it's, it was in Chicago with, you know, I'm not in Chicago, but I'm close to it. And I threw a big party for a bunch of the heaving bosoms folks that, we're going to be in town. And we had this whole big group get together. And I met Aaron, who was one of the hosts at the time and met a whole bunch of this community. And some of those folks are my best friends to this day. And then, you know, because I took on that volunteer role, I became a moderator for their Facebook group. And then I just hung around (laughs) 
until I started my own virtual assisting business during COVID. And they were like, hey, we need one of those. And I was like, here I am. <laughs> so I became their virtual assistant in 2020. And uh, one of the hosts had to take a step back from the podcast for, for life reasons. And, you know, you just wait long enough and you have a microphone just sitting in your house waiting. <laughs> well, that's kind of, so I started this interview segment of interviewing listeners and readers and t- just to show the wide variety of people that mm. read romance. So I had a segment that w- that aired for probably a year. They knew what I sounded like on air and that I can't seem to, to have a sentence without trying to tell a joke <laughs> to make someone laugh. And so it kind of fit good with their model. So Melody and I, who had become friends when Erin needed to take a step back, I kind of filled in a little bit and, and now here I am. The can't get rid of me. So tell us about how the podcast works. So obviously it is a podcast about romance books. Is it weekly? Is it? Yep. It's it's usually every Monday. Um, obviously stuff happens, as you know. And we have to yeah. do a re-release every once in a while. But but yeah, so we, we recap a romance book. And sometimes it's a movie, depending or if we have a guest, maybe an author guest or something. But we do a deep recap. So we are recapping every beat of the plot. So it's a spoiler podcast. So if it's a book that you haven't read, you don't necessarily want to listen until you've read it. If it's if you care about that thing, I have never cared. So I have always just listened and then like I'm a chaos agent. <laughs> and I just read, then I'll read the book later and ha- already know what happens. I don't know. And then, you know, we go on tangents or talk about stuff, but we don't love every book, you know, but sometimes some of the ones that we don't love are some of our very favorite episodes because some some things have happened that are so ridiculous in a book just with any genre you know right you read a book and you're like what yeah (laughs) yeah, I think the ones that you don't like actually you can have better conversations about them about why yeah yeah or even you know what I've found with books like in our book club if it's a book that I don't like but somebody else does then they kind of talk about it. I'm like, oh, I can see that. Or then I talk about what I didn't like. And then they go, oh, oh yeah, I can kind of see that. I think you learn more from the discussion that follows a book that is kind of like, eh. Yeah, 100%. And I love, you know, something that, that I didn't like, finding out why someone did like it sometimes makes me like it more because I'm only seeing it through the one right. lens. You know yep. what I mean? Like, it's just, it's so great. And so I, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> I just looked up pegging and no, we definitely can't talk about that. <laughs> So I was a little behind on looking up the definition. <laughs> but now that I have, I, I can hope, assure I you that saying. that doesn't meet the FCC requirements that we're supposed to follow. It wasn't a swear no, word. No, it's not a swear <laughs> word, but I, I think there's probably some other restrictions that would. <laughs> I, <laughs> but if you have a phone and you're curious, but not you, mom. Don't look it up. Don't look it up, mom. Just don't. I see everything catch up. I think we all need to take a big deep breath. We need to, we need to take go a break. Get a, go get a take sip of ice cold water. water. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what we're reading. We're back and we are going to talk about what we're reading. So Carrie, hopefully you're reading something fun because you have been in a really, really, really bad mood the last couple of days. (laughs) I have been and I still am, but I will tell you about a book I read that I did enjoy. I read it really, really fast. It is called Shirley Jackson, A Rather Haunted Life by Ruth Franklin. Amy, did you read this? No, no. I read a book that was fiction based on okay. her life. Okay. So mm-hmm. this is an actual biography of Shirley Jackson's life. I didn't know much about her. I mean, at all. And so it really helped me understand some of the experiences that inspired her work and how those experiences sort of work themselves into the characters that she created and the themes that she developed over a lot of her books. She had a really difficult relationship with her mother. And so the biography talks about that and how that relationship and the turmoil Uh, on Shirley's end, worked itself into her fiction. She was married for 25 years. Her husband was a a professor and a, a critic. And how that relationship 
again, infiltrated her writing. She had four kids. She loved being a mom. But then I, I didn't realize that she had died so young. She was only 48 when she died in 1965. So, you know, the other thing I learned, you know, I've read The Lottery. I've read uh, We've Always Lived in the Castle. I know about a lot of her stories, people sort of think of her as a creepy writer. You know, she wrote some of these, The Haunting of Hill House, you know, but she also wrote a pretty wide variety of things. And so this biography introduced me to, to that information. So reading this book, not only did it make me want to read the things that I didn't know that she wrote or, you know, read some of her uh, works that I haven't, but it also made me want to go back and reread some of the things that I have because now I can see, you know, why she wrote about homes and houses so much, you know, so there's certain of these uh, symbols and themes and character traits that I would like to now kind of examine more closely. So I, I'm a big fan times of reading biographies of authors because I think it helps you understand important things about what they put in their writing. So I would highly recommend it. Again, it's Shirley Jackson, A Rather Haunted Life by Ruth Franklin. Well, the fictional book that I read about her life, she, you know, yes, she, she had four kids and she was your average mom, but she also had sort of just this I don't know, creepy take on things. Of course, I was reading a fictional version, yeah. but but maybe it was because of well, some of the trauma. In I, her I life. think the thing was, she just, she didn't conform. You know, if you think about when she was a mom in the 1950s, I mean, that was just, it was like sort of cookie cutter, right? I mean, you just think about the 1950s and if you didn't sort of fall into that cookie cutter formula, you were an oddball. Shirley Jackson now would not be an oddball at all. But I think given the time in which she was becoming a young woman and, you know, raising her children and she was that way then. But I, I don't think it was her. I think it was the time frame in which what was prescribed for women to be. She didn't fit that mold. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. well, Natalie, yeah. what have you been reading? So I'm reading a book that I'm going to recap on the podcast called Things We Never Got Over by Lucy Score. And Lucy Score is a widely popular romance author. She is very popular on Instagram. So if you are actually not a romance reader and haven't spent a lot of time reading romance, she's actually a really great place to start. A lot of times her worlds, this takes place in a town called Knockamout. She kind of approaches like a small town romance but approaches it like a fantasy world. So it's there's a lot of world building. There's very unique things about these small towns. And, you know, I live in a very small town and it is not nearly as progressive as these small towns that she <laughs> writes about. I wish it was, but she kind of builds these worlds that that then you have five or six books that take place in and they're funny and they're, they have some heat level to them, but nothing like what we talked about before. <laughs> I, I'm actually reading this the second time through now. It's kind of interesting to see the things that I didn't pick up on the details that she kind of lets you know that there's some sort of intrigue in the background and then kind of gives it to you in small doses until you get the whole story later on. So it's kind of nice. I like how she approaches it. We just had a guest bookstore owner outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and that's where Lucy Score lives. Oh. And that person, her name is Michelle Herring, mm -hmm. uh, also talked about one of her books, but a different one. Mm -hmm. It's about a house flipper. It's about a house oh, flipper. Oh, Maggie Moves On. I have also yes, read that Yes, one. yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I've read that one too. Yeah. That was very interesting because, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's a it's a male contractor, and this is a this is a woman who is who's doing the house flipping and the construction work and the planning, and that's I guess an example of making sure that everybody is represented in romance. You know what I mean? That you get to see all sorts of different people. But yeah, there's some really funny elements to that one about found family, and it's a good read. It's it would be another good intro to to romance if you haven't. She's really trying in this first book to paint a picture of what town you're in, you know, kind of like they would in a fantasy world, but maybe you already have some elements of a small town America. So you have that mental picture and then she expands that world for you in the first book of the series. Okay. Things We Never Got Over by Lucy Score. Well, Amy, what have you been reading? 
Yeah. I am reading fun reads right now. And on the top of my list of summer fun reads was this middle grade book that was recommended by our favorite bookseller, Sam Miller, in episode 137. It's called Wretched Water Park by Kirsten White. And it is the first in what will be the Sinister Summer series. And this is the story of the three Sinister Winterbottom siblings. There's Wilhelmina, who's 16. She goes by Will. And Theodora, who goes by Theo. And Alexander. And they are 12-year-old twins. Their parents drop them off to spend the summer with their aunt Sophronia, who they have never met. And they have no idea why their parents have left them there. Aunt Sophronia doesn't know anything about taking care of children and decides that they should spend the whole week at the Fathoms of Fun Water Park. Aunt Sophronia is, I guess, very vague and kind of <laughs> flighty. She reminds me of the divination teacher, Ms. Oh, Ms. Uh-huh. Trelawney from the Harry <laughs> Potter books, right? So, But she does hint that there are some things that they need to do and things that they need to find at the Fathoms of Fun Park, but she doesn't really give them anything other than that. So here are some things that you need to know about the sinister winter bottom children. Will, the oldest, is always on their phone. And in fact, she has named her phone Rodrigo, and it pretty much never leaves her hand. I know some people in my own household like this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, She hardly ever looks up from her phone. So you think that she may not be paying any attention to what you're doing, but actually... She's a little more with it than you think. And then Theo is a bit of a daredevil who doesn't mind breaking the rules. And then there's her twin brother, Alexander, who is the exact opposite. He is very risk adverse and he's concerned about upsetting people. So when they go to the Fathom of Fun Water Park, it's like nothing they've ever seen. It is a, it's dark and brooding. The water rafts look like coffins and everyone is dressed in Victorian morning clothes and the water slides look like black tongues of a gargoyle. And they're warned not to run because if they run, they could disappear. Just like the owner, Mr. Widow, who was last seen running into the cold, unknowable sea, which is the wave pool um, that they have at this water park. and, And it's at the mouth of this cave. So the owner has disappeared and no one has seen him since. So this is the start of this wild mystery adventure for the sinister Winterbottom siblings to find out what happened to Mr. Widow and the other employees, because as the week goes on, there becomes less and less people there until at the end, they are the only three at the park. This was a super fun read. I read it in a day. The writing was witty. The story was fun. And it's the perfect book to immerse yourself in in while away a summer day. And while this is aimed for middle schoolers, adults can also enjoy this too. It definitely had a series of an unfortunate event vibes, but it was different enough that you didn't feel like it was a knockoff. It definitely had a flavor of its own. But if you love the series of unfortunate events and you're terribly sad like I am that there will be no more, this is a good option to scratch that itch. And the next in the series is called Vampire Vacation, and it comes out in September. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that in the afterwards, the author said that the idea for this book came to her when she misread a news headline and she thought it referred to a gothic water park. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know what the real headline was, but she could not get this idea out of her head of this gothic water park. And so she decided to write this delicious little Fun. book. The author is quite prolific and she's written many YA paranormal novels. I would recommend it. Again, the name of the book is Wretched Water Park by Kirsten cool. White. Uh, yeah, my kids kind of are borderline creepy kids. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, they will my, love it. My daughter's eight, but she's getting close to middle grade reading. So I'm going to kind of keep an eye out for when she might be ready to try something. <laughs> cool. cool. I want to read so. it. All right. Well, these all sound awesome. I've been making a list. Amy, let me read the next one. So, you know, because we can't talk about the same book. So let me read the next one in the series so that I can have some fun too. Okay. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to put Natalie in the hot seat for her three in the third degree. We are back with Natalie Martin, and we are going to put her in the hot seat and make her tell us all of her secrets. <laughs> Number one, you are a fan of tarot and tarot cards. So how did this interest begin? How do you use it? And do you have a favorite tarot card set? So as much as I love tarot, 
I'm a novice, 100% a novice. And really, you know, the people that got me into tarot are my friends, Jenny and my friends, Holly, both who I met through the podcast, which is kind of interesting, but um, both of them are tarot deck designers on their own, but then have connections to the wider tarot world and what it means and how to read cards and how to utilize cards in your life. And so the thing I really love about tarot is it's not going to read your future, but it's a way to reframe how you're thinking about a situation. Mm -hmm. So you might pull some cards in thinking about a specific work situation or life situation. And the way that the cards come out of the deck can give you an idea of how you might be feeling. It's not going to say you should do this. You're not asking a deck of cards, an inanimate deck of cards, a question and, and getting an answer, but you are thinking about an idea, thinking about a situation and really letting it almost like a guided journal. You know mm. what I mean? Like how you use like a journal prompt or something like that. It's giving you some prompts and how you think about it. So there's two decks and one of them is called the Le Beaumont Tarot deck. And that one was made with, um, and I can send a link to you guys too, but that one was made with actual fashion plates from like Regency era fashion. Oh, wow. Like, ah. uh, not magazines, but whatever those were called back in the day. But my friend Jenny designed that. I actually have it in two sizes. I have it in the full size and then I have a little pocket size guy that you can put in your pocket or in your purse or whatever. So her brand is Swing and Sparrow Tarot, but she also owns the uh, Happily Ever After Books, which is the romance uh, only bookstore in Toronto. And yeah. so like, if you were interested, I'm sure she, she has some more decks. You could definitely buy some from her, I'm sure. But so those are really great. And it was actually this big Kickstarter project that went rampant through the romance community and the romance community funded this whole tarot deck basically. Oh, wow. You know, it's kind of Jane Austen era fashion on the card. So it was really kind of a neat concept. Yeah. And then there's this other deck that is totally different, but I just love it so much. And it is, it's called Mushroom Tarot. And I'm a big nature person. It's all tarot cards and they're all like fungus. <gasps> There. How, did you, how did you know that I have a thing for fungus? I don't know. See? So they're all different kinds of like spores and it may be an animal interacting with a fungus. And it is so niche and so specific and so neat illustrations. I just gravitated towards it. I saw it. Uh, I actually funded the Kickstarter as well, but I saw it and was like watching it. And I was like, I'm going to do it. And then came with like this foil box. I just love how the cards feel. And I, sometimes I just look at them. I sometimes I just like, like to have them around just to, to make me happy too, though. I just think mushrooms are cool. Fungus are cool. Um, my favorite fungus funguses fungi are jelly fungus yeah they're really yeah <laughs> carrie thinks i'm weird right now no i agree yeah. i agree I'm over here. <laughs> speaking of fungus i think it's time for the question number two oh, yes yes although is yeast a fungus well, no. no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bad. Bad segue. It's alive. Speaking of a weird little living thing. How about that? Speaking yeah. of a weird little yeah. living thing. <laughs> All right. So tell us about your article, Talk Yeasty to Me, and the online magazine Dash of Awkward. So Talk Yeasty to Me is an article that I wrote for my friend Lauren's online zine, which I, I think it's it's on hiatus right now. But she had sent out a thing asking for food-related articles or people who would be interested in writing about food. And I'm obsessed with food. I'm obsessed with cooking and baking. And during the pandemic, I mean, like, it's still going on, I suppose. But at the beginning of the pandemic, I guess I should say, you couldn't find yeast anywhere because everyone was like, no bread. I'll just learn to make bread, you know? <laughs> but then, you know, I was already already making bread all the time. And so I couldn't find yeast anywhere. And I finally found a distributor, one of those places that delivers to restaurants and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But they were willing to sell me some yeast. And I said, yeah. And they said, how much you want? They can get it in one pound quantities. And that's a lot of yeast in case anyone is out yeah. there wondering, like I would think a little packet of yeast probably weighs a couple of ounces. So if you wanted a whole pound, that's a lot of, a yeah. lot. of yeast. Yeah. And I sent out messages to family and friends and said, Hey, I found someone that can get me yeast. Does anybody want it? I can send it to you in weird little Ziploc baggies. <laughs> 
in whatever quantity you want. And so I had all these people that, that said, yeah, get me some yeast. And I ended up ordering four pounds of yeast. Oh my gosh. Uh, from this distributor. And when I went to pick it up from them, they were like, oh, it's in the fridge. I was like, wow, that was so nice of them to keep it in the fridge for me. But it turns out it was in the fridge because I bought four pounds of fresh yeast. <gasps> mm. And if you are not a baker, fresh yeast is like, you can't freeze it. It's a, it's a, it's more living. It's, 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 more living. Anyway, it's, it's like, it's like more alive and it's very temperature sensitive and you have to use it in a specific amount of time and others will dry out and not be effective anymore. So I couldn't send it to all my friends. Like I had people that wanted it, that ordered yeast from me that were in Colorado and California and all sorts of places. So I had to keep all four of these pounds of yeast to myself in my house. <laughs> And so I was like, I don't want to waste this. I hate waste. It drives me crazy. And so I went on this like adventure to see if I could bake a yeasted bread every day <sighs> until I ran out of yeast. And I mean, I, at the time I, I was doing some virtual assisting stuff and I was doing some homeschool stuff, but I was really just in my house and I liked to, to bake. So I uh, the first thing I made was a chocolate babka. And then I made things like danishes and sometimes I would use it as like our meal. So I'd make like, like a pizza roll up or like calzones or something like that for dinner. But we ate sometimes usually one yeasted bread I would make every day, sometimes two, depending on if I made like, sometimes we'd make yeasted donuts for breakfast or, you know, we'd make danishes and then I'd make bread for dinner or whatever. And it was so much bread. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it was so much, but it was also like... If you are interested in baking or interested in becoming a better baker, it was like this weird intensive course that I gave myself on learning how yeast works, learning how it, in, in, it interacts with different ingredients, figuring out what kind of risk I was willing to take as far as estimations with different kinds of baking, how my oven worked. I really sunk into it and, and became a better baker because of it. But then I haven't baked bread in like over a year now because I burnt out real yeah. hard. But I teach online cooking classes. Now I usually teach them for the library. The one I just recently taught last week, I did a dinner and a snap program where I, things that could all be bought with foods on the SNAP program, talked oh, about cool. how to utilize yeah. your SNAP EBT at the grocery store and affordable ways to make a big meal for your whole family, both with uh, adaptations for, you know, plant-based food or, or vegetarians or non-vegetarians and, and ways that we utilize things so that you're reducing your food waste, you're making the most of your grocery bill. So we just did that program for our library last week. Very cool. Which was fun. You have a lot of hobbies. You so many. A lot of I'm, ho so I'm many 90% hobbies. hobbies, 10% job at this point. <laughs> okay. So this last question, uh, I'm not Ooh. a very organized person Same. in my regular life. Like I do have some organization, but it doesn't look like organization to anybody else probably. <laughs> but I was forced to organize my house, especially in my closets a couple of weeks ago because we had the carpet replaced. Mm -hmm. And I have found things that I have been missing for a long time, like my son's passport. Oh, man. Anyway, <laughs> I happen to know that you recently cleaned your closet. What weird things did you find? We're moving, hopefully. We're selling our house right now. So I have to dig deep into every single room in my whole house, which has been great and awful. But my closet is notoriously terrible. I'm not a clothes hoarder, but I keep clothes for a very long time. And so I have jackets from 15 years ago, that kind of thing. So it's just packed in there full of stuff. So you don't always know things are in there. I found uh, my wedding shoes. Wow. Which I haven't worn since a year after my wedding. I wore them as a bridesmaid for somebody else's wedding and I haven't seen them since then. So I found my wedding shoes. That was exciting. <laughs> um, I found a package of oyster crackers from an unknown date. <laughs> many receipts. So many receipts. My toxic trait is cutting off the tags from new clothing in my closet and then leaving the tags in my closet. <laughs> So I, I found a bunch of those um, old business cards from like one. I it was it was a person that dropped off their business card, and it was a lawn and DJ service <laughs> that I kept the card because I was fascinated <laughs> by that crossover. I couldn't. And you need see you need to have like a like a block party and yeah. have him mow your lawn and DJ. Yeah, at the same time. I mean, that's really the total package, you know. Like, yeah. 
if only yeah. I were single. And <laughs> it was like a wild snapshot of stuff that just went there to die. And and then it got revived and I made a TikTok video out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Natalie, <laughs> just like when we had discussions about when you were helping us do the website, our conversations with you are hilarious and just thoroughly enjoyable. Thank you so much for sticking yes. to the long game and <laughs> and <Patience>. yes, <laughs> for being patient and, and telling us about, about your romance reading. It has been an yeah. awful lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I am so happy it worked out. I'm so happy that, that we met via the internet and via internet friends. And now we get to have girl crushes on each other. No, yes. it's awesome. You can follow Natalie Martin on Instagram at justasknat or at her business website, www.justasknat.com. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook, Perks of Being a Book Lover. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives at forwardradio.org.